More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Welcome back into the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show. Thanks for rolling with us. Great to have you. Much to discuss here. Ukraine situation continuing to deteriorate. The war in that country getting worse, more violent, more casualties. We had assumed that that was going to be the case. Unfortunately, it is. There's been something of a shift, though, I think, in the last few days. In the early moments of this conflict, there was a lot of a lot of talk. Some would even say a lot of war propaganda about how the Russians, no way they could continue on. The Russian war machine was going to grind to a halt. The sanctions were going to crush them quickly. This would all be over, and the glorious Ukrainian resistance would be victorious. That's not how wars play out. And this is a very real war that has incredibly high stakes, as we know, for the people of Ukraine and also for the whole world when you add into it the thousands of Russian nuclear weapons that loom in the background of all of this. I think there's a little bit more realism in the analysis of this now, more generally in the media as we see the strikes, missile strikes hitting everything from hospitals to the headquarters of some foreign units that have arrived to fight alongside the Ukrainians. People are recognizing more, I think, as they see the images on their screens, how bad this is and how serious this fight is likely to continue to be. Joe Biden actually said on the issue of sending troops to Ukraine, well, I'll let him say it. We're showing the strength and we'll never falter. But look, the idea, the idea that we're going to send in offensive equipment and have planes and tanks and trains uh, going in with American pilots and American crews. Just understand, and uh, don't kid yourself, no matter what you all say, that's called World War III, okay? Let's get it straight here, guys. That old expression, don't kid a kidder. World War III. I would first note that a year ago, Biden promised to shut down the virus to turn on the economy and to restore normalcy and unity. 
And now we're being told, go buy a Tesla peasant. Gas prices are going to get higher and higher. Inflation is going to get worse. And hopefully we won't be in the midst of World War Three. So I think you could all consider Biden's year one to be a massive fail, even by Democrat standards. Beyond that, Clay, uh, this is not over when we think about this discussion about what the U.S. involvement here should be. Send NATO troops to western Ukraine. This is the Wall Street Journal today. A show of force inside the country would save lives and deprive Putin of the ability to dictate events. That was just published, uh, what was it, yesterday in the the Wall Street Journal on their editorial page. Just to give you one example of what's being talked about now, a limited no-fly zone, which I think I said they would call for in the west, where it's we're now seeing in real time this country be cleaved in two And, oh, we don't want a full-scale no-fly zone. We want a limited no-fly zone. Again, creeping toward a reality with Russia that we need to be very cautious against. We were talking about this off the air, the latest in Ukraine. And I wondered how long it would take, Buck, for the American public, as much as there might be an interest in Ukraine, for that interest to begin to wane. And over the weekend, I believe it was Axios published a study on online traffic to Ukraine-related articles. And it basically has fallen off a cliff. First eight, nine days, first week of the Ukraine story, people couldn't get enough of it. The drama uh, of following this war in Europe was unbelievably compelling to your average American. But guess what happens, Buck? The stories, even as they are becoming worse, are easier to understand. That first imagery of Russia invading Ukraine and Zelensky coming out and saying, we're fighting for Kiev tonight, you thought that there would be some sort of massive story change. And what's happened is what you predicted, Buck. We basically entered the long slog of war here, where... You're making progress if you're Russia a couple of miles a day. The overall rate of casualty is increasing fairly rapidly. But the day-to-day swings are not as substantial. And so the American public, everybody put up their Ukraine uh, flag on social media. All the politicians walked out with their Ukraine flag lapels. And now as this battle is ongoing... There's a dial back, right, in the overall interest, it feels like, in America in general. And I don't know where we go from here. But how long do you think this process plays out, right? Because I think there's a lot of people out there, okay, we're mid-March. We're, you know, two weeks into what feels like a very long process. When is there a resolution, and what do you think that resolution might look like? I think this goes on for a couple more weeks before Kiev essentially becomes so destroyed that it is almost uh, indef- indefensible militarily. Uh, and then I believe there'll be negotiations that will stretch on with, with intermittent ceasefires. This is all prediction, folks. I could be wrong. Um, that will eventually create a Russian protectorate in much of eastern Ukraine and a full Russian Federation uh, absorption of the so-called independent region of Donbass or the separatist region of Donbass uh, and, and a corridor that connects the Donbass to Crimea, which would essentially block the rest of Ukraine from access to the Sea of Azov and the Black Sea. So cut the country in half in a matter of months is, I think, what is going to happen here. 
Uh, and at that point, the Russians would be willing to say, well, we'll back off now and and, uh, you know, whatever. I mean, I you think, think Zelensky survives and remains in power for the remainder of Ukraine. Or how do you see him? Because many people are following him as the heroic protagonist of the Ukraine-Russia struggle. What seems yeah. likely to you to occur with Zelensky? I, I think that I think that he will. I, I hope and think that he will be uh, be OK and be a part of the eventual negotiations here because i think the rush militarily he's not a significant target to the russians uh insofar or i should say he's not a an obvious target for the russians insofar as the martyrdom of zelensky may create an even emboldened resistance among the ukrainians because russia at the end of this wants to go back to being a member of the international community and you know there there are some some things that I believe are going to guide Putin here as much as he can be guided. Because, look, I mean, he obviously he could level any of these cities if he wanted to. So he's using escalating force to try to to punish the Ukrainians enough that they will give him what he wants at the negotiating table. Right? If he wanted to completely uh, level one of these cities, there's very little that could be done to stop him. But he's coming pretty close to it, I know, in some places. You're seeing a lot of the wreckage. And we're trying to get in the mind of a, a very... Um, immoral and vicious fellow with Vladimir Putin. But I, I think he ends up cutting the country in half. I think Zelensky probably uh, makes it to the end of the conflict. And uh, what I mentioned before on, on the changing perception, by the way, Clay, I had been surprised in the first week or so of this conflict, we were told that 75% of the American people, according to, I think it was a Reuters Ipsos poll, if I remember correctly. Yes. 75% of them supported a no-fly zone over Ukraine. The most recent polling on this one, and this is a CBS News poll slash YouGov, 59% support a no-fly zone over Ukraine. However, a no would you support a no-fly zone over Ukraine if it is viewed as an act of war? 62% oppose it then, which is another way of saying, yeah, people realize we don't want a war with Russia because a no-fly zone over Ukraine would absolutely be viewed as an act of war by Russia. How would they respond to that? We don't know. But that, because to do a no-fly zone, you have to shoot down Russian planes and destroy Russian surface-to-air missiles on Russian territory. There's no other no-fly zone. It also shows, Buck, how the wording of poll questions really dictates many times what the response you're going to get from the people that you poll is. And so relying on poll question answers to help dictate American policy, certainly American foreign policy, can be freighted with danger just based on that difference that you're uh, explicating there in essentially word choice. Nobody wants World War III. Everybody, in theory, likes the idea of supporting Ukraine as much as Ukraine can possibly be supported. And so if you're right and we're talking about eventually an agreement where part of Ukraine is given back to Russia... I think most people out there wonder several things. One, would Russia stay uh, stay happy with that result? And two, I, what I haven't heard a lot of people talk about, Buck, is how does Russia get reintegrated into the global marketplace well, when there's some sort of resolution it, here? Like, everyone is so happen? everyone is so mobilized right now with this moment of of of. You know, unity to of, shut of, down. Of uni- exactly. Yeah. Unity against Russia. And we're even, you know, they stopped some, I think it's like a 20-year-old uh, piano prodigy from oh, yeah, playing at some concert hall in Canada. He's Russian. He's 20. He's 
outspoken against Putin in the war. He's basically yes. a Russian dissident at this point, and they won't let him perform because he's Russian. They've stopped teaching some of the greats of Russian literature in major universities in the Western world because they're doing this anti... It's the Freedom Fries moment. Remember that? Remember we were supposed yes. to rename French Fries Freedom Fries? Not because we were invading France, but because Jacques Chirac wasn't on board for the Iraq War of 2003, so we were supposed to turn on the French, which that whole thing was, was idiotic. But there was a moment of public fervor and I think I think we, because of what we've seen as a country over the last twenty years, are a little bit more, a little bit more, you know, prove to me, a little bit more show me, a little more cynical, which we should be about government claims when it comes to things like war. But Clay, Russia is going to be integrated into the international community again. There is no future in which one of the largest producers of hydrocarbon in the world, with a hundred and thirty million person population and thousands of nuclear weapons is ignored by everybody. Forever. That doesn't happen. Yes. So this is what I mean by, you know, is Zelensky a target or not? I mean, he, you know, maybe he was, maybe he's not now. It's very tough to read these things. Here is a prediction I feel very confident in. In a year, most of the world is doing business with Russia. Most of the world is buying Russian energy without a second thought. Russia is back on the United Nations. I don't know. Right now, nobody wants to hear that. But you think about this. Really? Do we, do we think that we're going to treat Russia like North Korea for the foreseeable future? Putin knows that that's just not possible. He knows that countries won't care enough about what's happened in Ukraine to do that. So this all goes into his very Machiavellian calculations. Well, his idea is essentially, I think, correct. But can you imagine how awkward the reintegration of Russia uh, and their economy is going to be? After so much of a statement being made about how you're going to shut down Russia, and then suddenly, I mean, just think about it, McDonald's going to open back up, uh, Dr. Pepper and uh, and Pepsi and, and Coke are suddenly going to start flowing again. I mean, I'm just talking about low-level uh, economic uh, I- input in terms of, I mean, do, do the oligarchs get back their yachts? Uh, you know, like, yes. I, mean, I mean, there's so much to unravel here as eventually Russia gets brought back into the global marketplace. It's not even clear. I always wonder about this, what the legality is of punishing people and, and taking their assets in the West who are Russian without, have they proved? There haven't been tried. First of all, these oligarchs can afford very good legal teams, I can assure you. Have they proven that these assets are illicit? I mean, a lot of what's going on here is driven by this this mass mobilization mentality. Look, I... I feel like people, everyone needs to take a step back and, and be very cautious about this. Joe Biden is actually discussing the possibility of World War Three erupting if we get this wrong. And there are people who are saying, yeah, but blow Russian planes out of the sky. What are they going to do about it? And, well, and they I have mean, platforms. They took uh, in, in London, obviously, which has got massive amounts of Russian oligarch money. They took away Abramovich, and I may be mispronouncing his name, but I don't think I am. He owns Chelsea, which is one of the biggest English Premier League teams out there, and they seized his soccer team. I mean, it's crazy what they're doing in England right now uh, in terms of taking property that the guys have owned for a, a generation. Let's say that I'm right, and I know we, we got to take a pause here. We'll come back to this, but let's say I'm right, Clay, and they do cleave the country in half, and there's some kind of negotiations. You know what everyone, you know what everyone who wants to do business with Russia is going to say? Okay, guys, you know, this is now peace means putting things behind us and Putin is the, you know, and you're going to hear so much justification for why we need to forget all about these sanctions and these things just because of the money, because there are so many people that are going to want 
access to Russian fossil. If Russia didn't have oil and natural gas, Clay, it would be a different conversation. Yes. But there's no way. There's no way this is long term. That's how I see it. Our buddy Mike Glendell, he and his team, man, they hook you up with so many different products. What do they hook you up with? Well, you guys know. Uh, they've got everything, and they make it with USA Cotton. And look, you got the towel sets, slippers, robes, mattress toppers, Giza sheets, many more. How about the towels? Pacific, specifically, let's talk about the six-piece set. Set comes with two bath, two hand towels, two washcloths. It usually retails for $109.99, but for a limited time, you can get this set for the low price of $39.99 with the promo code Clay and Buck. You're saving 70 bucks off of these fantastic towels, two bath, two hand towels, two washcloths, 60-day money-back guarantee, no risk. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener specials, use promo code Clay and Buck. Plus, with our promo, you'll also get a copy of Mike Lindell's book free with your purchase Use that code Clay and Buck. You can also call 800-792-3269. That's 800-792-3269. Welcome back in, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. Buck, are you on TikTok at all? I don't post, but I do You watch. have an account. I have an account. I watch the steak grilling, which is phenomenal. I mean, the meat technique that you will see for guys making wagyu making seared ribeye i get excited about it. so how much time do you think you spend on tiktok in a week oh rare i mean rarely i you know i, I maybe no I, I flip through it once or twice over the course of a week for a few minutes i'm, okay. I'm, I'm very so minimal i'm not even on it at all I mean, you basically live on twitter so i know it's a different kind of thing oh i know yeah i mean i'm on twitter all day long every day but i'm not on facebook or instagram or tiktok at all but Obviously, a lot of your kids, grandkids out there are on TikTok an unbelievable amount. And the Biden White House has realized that one way to mobilize young people is by trying to reach them through TikTok, where, frankly, let's be honest, Buck, they're not as likely to experience conflicting ideas because they get in the algorithm. They trust some of these TikTok influencers who can have millions of followers and so the Biden White House has been briefing last week. This was initially a Washington Post story. They were briefing TikTokers about what was going on in Ukraine. And uh, and as part of that briefing, I believe we have audio of White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki telling them, oh, of course Russia uh, hacked into our election in 2014 and 2016. Listen to this. The best antidote to disinformation is the truth, right? And one of the big steps we've taken and made a decision to take is to declassify information over the course of the last several months. If you look back at 2014 and frankly even 2016 when Russia invaded Ukraine and then in 2016 when they, you know, of course, hacked our election here, we did not do that, right? We did not declassify information. Yeah, that's a lie. But anyway, I, I guess mean, no one cares. It, and what's amazing, too, and almost no one talks about it, Buck, is she lied about the Hunter Biden stuff. Yeah, like, she crazy. lies all the time. It's amazing. Nobody wants to wake up every day with unbearable pain, but a lot of people do. Sometimes it's from exerting yourself on the job or just getting older. you got to find a way to reduce and remove pain from your life. It is critical. 
our friends at Relief Factor give you a chance. Relief Factor has developed a three-week quick start pack. You take Relief Factor three times a day at breakfast, lunch, and dinner for three weeks, and you'll know if it works for you or not. Hundreds of thousands of people have tried. About 70% of them have gone on to order more. Those are amazing odds. Relief Factor works for 7 out of 10 people. Are you one of the 7 who will live their lives in less pain? Look, it's created by doctors, perfected over 15 years of scientific research. Relief Factor is a 100% drug-free product that was made for you. Join the more than half a million people and order the three-week quick start for only $19.95. Go to relieffactor.com or call 800-4-RELIEF. To get the 1995 three-week quick start developed for you, that's relieffactor.com or call 800, the number four, relief. Welcome back to Clay and Buck Show. There are a lot of areas where you could criticize and should criticize the Biden administration, the economy, national security, inflation, gas prices, all, all kinds of stuff where you can point to that are just disaster areas. But one that is a massive problem, one one the American people should be hearing more about and continues to get worse day in and day out under this Biden regime is our southern border. It is lawless. It is porous. It is effectively open. Some folks are going down there to tell us what's actually happening. One of them joins us now, Ivory Hecker. She is an independent journalist. She spent most of last week doing uh, doing journalism down at the border, telling us what's going on. Ivory, thanks for being with us. Hey, thanks so much for having me. So what did you see? Tell us what's going on right now. You speak to Border Patrol. You speak to uh, people that are trying to help out the Border Patrol. What What are they saying about the current state of security and the rule of law down there? Well, it's a constant stream of migrants going uh, swimming through the Rio Grande. They told me I shadowed... Uh, a local militia group for three days this past week. And turns out while I was there, uh, media reports of four people ended up drowning in the Rio Grande. Um, I got tipped off about a four-year-old girl drowning uh, while attempting to swim across with her family. Um, and uh, Border Patrol confirmed that to me. Um, and she ended up being one of four, but First day there when we when we drove up drove up to the Rio Grande uh, in Maverick County, Texas. Uh, not even we couldn't even get out of the truck before there were already migrants swimming across. Uh, so we just turned on our cameras, started rolling. I put all the footage on YouTube um, and watched this group of uh, about six people swim across the Rio Grande. Um, when they got on shore, they said that they had come from Cuba. They had spent a month traveling from Cuba. And it's really interesting that the girl who drowned was from Nicaragua. Uh, turns out another little boy drowned the week I was there. He was from Uruguay, which is way down in South America, uh, Southern Hemisphere. So people, I mean, the word is out that if you want to get into the United States, you go to Mexico, and then you swim across and make your way right in. Ivory, do we have any idea what percentage of people that are trying to cross the border we actually apprehend or come in contact with at all? In other words, you're down at the border. I, I know it's difficult, and we have a lot of people working on the border who feel disrespected in the Biden administration in general. 
But what kind of odds do you have of getting across without any sort of significant interaction with American Border Patrol at all? Well, you know, the border is so long that there's no telling how many people are honestly getting right through without even even being detected. So, you know, when you look at CBP data, it shows that more than 2 million people were encountered attempting to cross the border last year, but in, in a percentage of those people were sent back, a percentage of them were accepted into the U.S., but how many were not encountered? And that's what we just... It's a monster number, right, know. that we never interact with at all, Buck, right? Oh, I mean, there's, ten, there's tens of thousands of gotaways, from what I've spoken to Border Patrol, that are every month coming into the country, meaning they don't even... They're never even apprehended. They just run right. into the country. The numbers we see about encounters and what Ivory's talking about, people that are coming across and Border Patrol is is apprehending them, that's one That's one number. But the gotaways is why it's 1.6 million apprehensions last year. When you add the gotaways, it's basically 2 million people entered the United States illegally. We're speaking to Ivory Hecker, who's an independent journalist who was just down at the border last week. IvoryHecker.com is uh, her website. You can check out the video of exactly what's going on down there. Ivory, I, I haven't spoken to Border Patrol about this in person in, uh, in a, well, almost a year now. Uh, I was down there last March. The morale at the start of the Biden administration was low. When you spoke to Border Patrol last week, what were they telling you, and do they, do they feel like the federal government is even backing them up when it comes to getting their jobs done? Well, you know, when I talk to them, I talk to a couple, a couple of agents who are just there. You know, they're not allowed to speak to media at all, but they, they were very nonchalant about accepting these guys. And when the Cubans came, uh, sw- swam through the river, border agents walked right up with plastic bags, handing plastic bags. It was a routine. It, it, it just seemed very routine to these guys to accept these migrants and give them plastic bags for their wet clothes. So they're like the wel- they're like the welcoming committee now basically. You cross the Rio Grande yeah. Rio Grande illegally and there's like a federal taxpayer funded welcoming committee for you now. Exactly and the in the militia was joking the whole time that these guys are called the Uber for migrants now um, because it's it's not as if it, they're not really hired to uh, to keep people out anymore at this point i mean if you a lot of migrants know that they should run right into the arms of border patrol at this point uh because they will indeed get uh filed onto a warm van and sent off to the station where they have a good chance of remaining in the u.s and and if they do get sent back across the border they can just try again but nothing bad's going to happen to them if they get caught by a blood border patrol. A lot of these guys are learning. So, but it was interesting to me in those three days, I never saw border patrol agents out there in action, um, you know, chasing after migrants. I did see the, the Texas National Guard dispatched by Governor Abbott. Those guys were sprinting at times, trying to chase down some of these migrants. Border patrol was nowhere to be seen uh, in regards to that. They would mosey up and hand plastic bags to migrants who'd swum across. But I wasn't, I wasn't seeing that. When I was there uh, several months ago, Border Patrol had a lot of buses that they were filing migrants onto and taking to Catholic Charities. Then I watched Catholic Charities give plane tickets to the migrants to head in further into the U.S. 
So it's just a very strange scenario. And I think that's why we see Border Patrol's morale plummeting, because they're sitting there questioning whether, you know, why are we called Border Patrol and why are we believed to be protecting the border when the people on the ground are, are seeing us and calling us Uber because that's what that's what they seem to be doing now. Ivory, what do we know about fentanyl and other drugs crossing the border? Obviously, part of this uh, major issue, huge part of it is people, but also the drug trade is coming across the border in massive numbers, I believe. What did you hear about that? Yeah, uh, shadowing the border, uh, the the militia, they were always on the lookout for drugs. Uh, they said that sometimes the, the little bags, you'd see a lot of bags around the border, and some of them would have migrants' belongings in them, but some of them um, would be disguised as migrants' belongings, but they would actually be drugs. Like, uh, at one point, the militia was cracking open cans of tuna. There was a bag with food in it, but they said previously they had encountered a bag of food, and when they opened the containers of food, it was straight drugs. So they were, uh, part of the militia's job was just going through what is left there and making sure none of it is drugs, because that is such an issue. IvoryHecker.com for more of Ivory's reporting from down on the border. Ivory, thanks so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, and it's all on YouTube. I put the I put the coverage of the border on YouTube. Oh, fantastic! Thanks Go check it out. Well, what's your YouTube channel? Uh, just search Ivory Hacker. All righty, there we go. Thank you, Ivory. In the same month, you've been forced to spend much more on gas and facing a certain increase coming in the price of food at the grocery store. There are savings to be found with your cell phone bill. Pure Talk provides immediate cost savings while allowing you to maintain the same level of cell phone quality as customers of AT and T, Verizon, and T Mobile. That's because they use the same network as one of those well-known companies, the same exact cell phone towers, but at much, much less than what you're paying now. When you switch to Pure Talk for your cellular service, you're saving $50 or more per month. That's all while you're keeping your same phone number and same cell phone. Pure Talk makes this possible because you're only paying for what you need. As an example, here's one plan. You get unlimited talk, text, and 6 gigs of data for just $30 a month. From your cell phone, dial pound 250, say Pure Talk, You'll save an additional 50% off your first month. You can literally be switched over to Pure Talk service in less than 10 minutes. Dial pound 250, say Pure Talk. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Welcome back in, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. Encourage you to go subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you don't miss a minute of the show. Help us set an all-time record for listenership in March. You can search out my name, Clay Travis. You can search out Buck Sexton. Sign up. Give us five stars. I promise that I will have Dub eventually giving us a review. I'm down in Florida right now. Going to be out in Las Vegas at the end of the week. But at some point, maybe next week, I'll have Dub on top of it. A couple of things that are out there. We've been talking about how suddenly Saturday Night Live has become willing to make fun of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And to a large extent, that feels like even comedians can no longer fail to acknowledge how unpopular Joe Biden and Kamala Harris actually are. And I saw over the weekend, Buck, I was watching Bill Maher, and he had a good point, which we have made for basically a month now, that you have to ask the most central question 
about the Ukraine conflict. And that central question is, if Trump was such in cahoots with Russia, which obviously he wasn't, but why didn't Vladimir Putin invade during the four years that Trump was in office? Why did he wait? And that's a question that the most anti-Trump people don't have a good answer for. And building on that, even Trevor Noah, who I'm not sure I've ever seen him make fun of, a Democratic politician, at least not in recent memory, even he was talking about how embarrassing it was for Joe Biden not to be able to get on the phone with the UAE or with Saudi Arabia as he's been attempting to negotiate for more oil so the price of oil wouldn't be skyrocketing as much as it is. When people like Trevor Noah on The Daily Show, who took over for Jon Stewart, and by the way, we took over for a legend, Trevor Noah taking over for Jon Stewart, is it fair to say that that's been an unrequited disaster, Buck? I mean, that in terms of influence, like, do you hardly even hear The Daily Show matter anymore? I think The Daily Show was probably the single most effective point of Bush criticism in the media during the Iraq war years for the Democrats. Um, and I think that Trevor Noah isn't able to get anywhere, not even a fraction of, of the relevance Although I do think he's paid like $15 million. Yeah, of course he is. Because, you know, corporate media, they can pay people whatever they want to pay them. Um, But, yeah, no, he's not. I I just don't remember him even hardly making news, right? Like in any way, negative or positive, since he's taken over in any way. I mean, if he wanted to be relevant, maybe he would follow more in. And, you know, I'm sure his audience is like, oh, you know, probably has, I don't know, close to a million people maybe watch that show a night, something like that. But you see what Bill Maher's done. Bill Maher is is speaking to people on the right. Bill Maher is saying things that at least show a willingness to grapple with reality. Although, as I said, don't ask him about climate change because he's a lunatic on climate change. But on some issues, wokeness and COVID stuff, he's like, okay, enough is enough. You know, there is a window here for people to actually speak to their own side because they'll never, libs will never listen to you and me really. By the way, I, I... Centrist Democrats, I hope all of them listen to this show and and give us a chance. I think we've got a lot of them. I think we've got some, but I'm talking about the hardcore Antifa supporting announce my pronouns when there's nobody even listening to me like those people. If you're a pronoun person, you're probably not listening to our show. The pronoun announcers do not listen to this show, but there are Democrats who I think could speak to them and would be doing the country a service. By the way, we need to play the Trevor Noah. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I want to play the Trevor Noah. This is one of the first times I remember even having a Trevor Noah clip that was circulating at all on social media. I saw he was trending, and I was like, oh, I wonder what he said, and this is what he said. Saudi Arabia isn't playing ball with Joe Biden. And you know what? You can say what you want, but this would have never happened to Donald Trump. Never. No one was ever ignoring Donald Trump's calls. Yeah, because if you ignored Donald Trump's calls, you didn't know how he would respond. Maybe he'd send an angry tweet, or maybe he'd just like ban your country from everything. You don't know. That's why I bet in these situations, Biden actually wishes that he could hire Trump to step in as president wildcard. You know, just keep everyone on their toes. Because if Trump was calling, you best believe the UAE, they'd be racing to pick up the phone. Oh, Mr. Trump, Mr. Trump, we're here. We're here. Hello? Too late, Ahmed. You made me wait two rings. We're bombing the UAE and the UFC just in case. Now, he's, he's making fun of Trump, but there's a, there is some truth to what he's saying, actually. I mean, this, yes. is, this is what I mean, because I remember when Trump was president, I would always say whatever he was de- when he was dealing with any of the tyrants on the world stage that you can name, whether it was you know Iran or North Korea or Putin or whomever. 
it was always, you don't know how this guy's going to react to you. And, you know, you think about it this way. If you're picking a fight, if you're a bad guy, if you're a bully and you're going to pick a fight with someone in a bar, you don't pick a fight with the guy that you don't know what he's going to do in response. You pick a fight with the guy who's going to say, oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Oh, I'm gonna, can I buy you a drink? Trump wasn't the I'm going to buy you a drink guy. That's for sure. No, and, and, and I think that's underlying the essence of why Putin didn't invade Ukraine. He was afraid of what Trump might do. He didn't know. And there's an element of value in being having that uncertainty associated with it. Right now, Russia knows what exactly. Mean, I guarantee you they can sit down and map out exactly what Joe Biden is going to do because the United States is trying to be very clear in creating expectations for Russia. Trump would not have played that game. And there is, look, while Trevor Noah is making a joke at the end there, the premise of his joke is accurate. The UAE and Saudi Arabia would not have refused to speak with Donald Trump on the phone. And by the way, I think if Donald Trump were president, first of all, Ukraine, I don't believe, would have been invaded by Vladimir Putin. But if it had been, I think Trump would have had good enough relationships in the Middle East, Buck, that I believe Saudi Arabia and other Middle Eastern countries that are allied with Saudi Arabia would have produced more oil. I think they would have been willing to help to defray the cost of oil around the world by producing more in order to curry favor with Trump and have and maintain good relationships with his administration. I really do believe that. I mean, let's let's be honest and people... Trump's advisors didn't want to upset him. You can yeah. imagine if you're, you know, you're one of these dictators that you think you're going to outplay chess on the Trump board. He might flip the, uh, sorry, outplay Trump on the chess board. The Trump board would also be cool. Um, he might I'm surprised just flip. that's not its own bu- uh, business for Probably the Trump should family. Be. Right Let now. it just double yeah. on something there. Anyway, we're going to get into more on the economy and inflation coming up here in a few moments because it's not going to good places, folks. And Democrats are uh, in a state of panic when they actually look at the numbers because the midterms could be the biggest wipeout they've seen in decade perhaps in living memory let's certainly hope so we'll push on that gas prices inflation the biden regime clay what else am i leaving out here i mean the solution for all of this is what even dumber than defund the police that's the tease you're gonna love the clips we play democrats have the answer for the high price of oil are you going to believe what it is I don't think so, but you're going to be enjoying it. That's next, Final Hour, Monday edition. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.
I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.